congratulations. As a subscriber and supporter of this podcast, you are entered to win the board that we are reviewing here today. This exact board, this gently used album Twinsman. It's our small way to say thanks for the support. And we'll pick one name from our subscriber list on March 1st, announce it on social media, and we'll be doing these kind of giveaways every other month throughout the year. And hopefully beyond, and actually um, hopefully more frequently than just every other month if we can kind of streamline the workflow. So enjoy today's show and good luck on March 1st. Hey everybody, David Scales here. You've heard of album surfboards for years now. You've been seeing an increased amount of footage of guys writing albums boards. And if you've seen any of that footage in the last six months, the odds are that the board that you saw was the Twinsman. And it's the board that I've been exclusively writing through December and January. So did the Twinsman allow me to surf like Asher Pacey or Josh Kerr? No. But does it deserve to be the next addition to your quiver? I'll break down all the details and let you decide. So let's take a closer look. Now, to best understand the album Twinsman, we should contextualize the genre or the category. This one is six foot in length, but I wouldn't really call it a shortboard. It's a twin fin, but I wouldn't call it a fish. Here's how Album Surfboard's founder and shaper, Matt Parker, defines it. I kind of see it as a shortboard replacement for most of us, right? Okay. Because, uh, or at least a, sh a shortboard replacement kind of daily surf. So I view it not as a, not as a retro board, not as a fish, not as, you know, it's more a daily driver for the waves you're going to surf 95% of the time. Okay. And, um... The reason it it's more phone friendly, you know, so you can kind of jump on it instantly. You're like, well, I can catch waves a lot easier than I can on my normal board. But once you're up and riding, you can do the same turns or take the same approach. You don't have to modify your approach significantly. I think sometimes people think I'm jumping on a twin fin and it's going to be too squirrely or I'm going to have to kind of baby a bottom turn or something like that. Right. So yeah, it's got none of the babying aspects of it. I So my impression when I was watching um, Josh Kerr and Asher Pacey ride them when the model first got introduced was that it was more a fish replacement, mm -hmm. like a hybrid maybe between a fish and a shortboard. Mm -hmm. And I feel like maybe they were riding there smaller than this one is. This one's a 6.0. Yeah, yeah. There's It's it's taken on some few variations. Okay. It, it, you, you bring up a good point, though, because Asher definitely came comes from a fish platform I like he surfs tiny little squatty twin fin fishes right. and Josh spent all those years coming from on tour surfing shortboards and so this kind of does bring those together a little bit where it, it is one model that they both can surf you know whenever right so Asher does still surf his a little shorter does he <laughs> just like small boards okay well so my that was my impression going into it and that's how I kind of um, tried to ride it the first couple of sessions. And ultimately the way I view it now is it feels like a shrunken down mid-length. Mm -hmm. 
if that makes any sense to you at all. Like I find myself, or it wants me to stand more kind of on the back third of the board. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I was standing way too far forward, almost like I would on a fish and trying to kind of, I don't know, ping off sections and stuff, but it really, it almost has volume forward. Mm -hmm. So my weight needed to be kind of behind that Mm -hmm. and drive off that back third of the board and just kind of let the front swing more. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Or, or yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously you felt the foam underneath you. So it, yeah, it's got this unique, I guess the most unique element to it is that it has almost a concave or flat deck, you know, totally where, where it keeps a lot of the volume from the stringer out to the perimeter is almost the same thickness. And so Instead of like a traditional shortboard where it's the thickest part is at the stringer and then it kind of tapers all the way to the rail. This one kind of goes like this out to the perimeter. Oh. And then so a lot of the foam's kind of contained in the perimeter. So you feel that, and that's that glide and that momentum that just kind of lets it run. Yes. That mid-length kind of run and glide. But then where the fins are placed, they're placed like further back than a normal twin fin would be placed. And so they're, they're meant to be under your back foot where you would stomp it on a shortboard. So. Right. Okay. That makes sense now. Yeah. Because, yeah, I guess to reword what I was thinking was I tried to rip the board the first few sessions, uh-huh. and it just qu- wasn't quite working. Mm-hmm. And I found if I just set back and let the board, um, yeah, find its own line and kind of, uh, I don't know, stand more upright, more back, and just kind of push off the back half of the board, mm-hmm. it would swing around, and I'd go fast and got lots of space um, drive out of it, but it wasn't ripping in the same way that I see Josh and Asher yeah. ripping theirs. And then I realized, well, I think theirs are smaller too. Well, this and one, I don't surf like them. Yeah. Obviously. This one is unique too, and that it's like the round pintail version. So it is a little bit more of a stretched out. Okay. Yeah. I mean, a lot of like, if you look at Josh's or Asher's day to day version, it's like wing swallowtail and the tail's a little wider and it is squished down a little bit. Okay. So Josh will surf that one at Five three, and he'll surf his pintail version at five six. How tall is Josh? Josh is about five seven, five eight. Okay, I'm probably 145 pounds. Got it. Like okay, but he does ride it volume up though too. He'll ride it. Um, you know, his normal volume on a shortboard style board is, would be 24 and a half to 25 liters, and his twinsman will be 27 and a half to 28. Wow. You know, for and so for being 145 pounds, he's riding. The same volume that some guys here are 180 would consider their shortboard volume. Totally. So, okay. Um, so, it, what's interesting about uh, kind of the way that I ended up interpreting the board is I've never ridden a board like that before. I don't have any board in my quiver that suits what I'm saying or does what I'm saying, um, and I think it actually has a lot of value mm-hmm. because the mid length, like a traditional mid length, or what I've been riding for the previous year or two has a lot of limitations to it, essentially, that this board, because it's smaller, doesn't have. Uh, but it then has a bunch of kind of characteristics that my fish wouldn't have or that my shortboard certainly taps out, you know, in terms of paddle ability or whatever. Yeah, so did, it fits. How did wave count happen? High, like, high yeah, wave right? count, yeah. yeah. And I rode it in a wide variety of conditions. When I first picked it up from you, the waves were pretty small. Um, so I rode it in junkie surf, but then ever since then it's been pumping and I've ridden it at Rencon. Mm-hmm. So kind of a point break wave, uh, or a point break wave. And then I've ridden it, um, in orange County through all this pumping swell where it's like a frame barrels, really good waves. Mm-hmm. So it's, 
and it's worked in everything yeah. equally well. Yeah, the, it's a good all rounder. This one, the pintail version, kind of we I had always done it, but I'd never really we'd never really made it to be surfed in good waves. And then Josh was in Indo for five weeks or whatever in, in December, and surfed it at proper bank vaults. I don't know if you saw any of those clips, yeah. but yeah, this is crazy. Yeah, crazy. And I think he ended up surfing this board probably more than any other board, and it held in like as big a wave that I'm ever going to surf in. So. Right, and it's a twin fin, and yeah. obviously the fins are pretty big. So that yeah, helps. they're proper good size upright twinnies. Yeah. So for me, this board fulfills two key objectives for most people's surf needs. Number one, as an everyday all conditions board. And number two, as a board that will allow an aging, perhaps someone who's put on a little weight who used to be a high performance surfer, this will allow them to transition off that pointy thruster while still riding something in that 6.0 range and also increase their wave count. Incidentally, I identify with both of these groups. And in fact, I could have used this board probably 10 years ago to prevent some ego bruising when I really needed to embrace that transitional time. But given the volume and the distribution of it, you can surf this in knee-high slop. And given the outline and the taper foil and the step in the tail, the board holds and turns in head-high juicy surf. Just go see some of Josh Kerr's surfing in Indonesia for kind of a perfect illustration of this. Now, there is a perfectly designed board for any given day, and sometimes I worry that if a board is trying to be too many things, perhaps it does nothing particularly well. Scott Bass calls these boards tweeners or in-betweeners. They are kind of jack of all trades, but master of none. So does that apply to the Twinsmen? And I don't think it does. The Twinsman does work really well in a variety of conditions, but I also think that there's conditions that it's ideally suited for. And specifically, that would be a point break on an average day. An average day at upper trestles, let's say, or maybe Rincon, where you can link through a series of turns, but you're never really required to go fully vert. The board will maintain speed through transition and slow spots, but not necessarily fit into the tightest contours of the wave. Now, looking to the dimensions and the construction of the board. It's six feet long, 20.5 inches wide, two and point five inches thick, with a 14 and three quarters measurement at 12 inches from the end of the tail, and exactly the same measurement at 12 inches from the tip of the nose, 14 and three quarters. This board was shaped from a lighter density polyurethane foam blank and glassed with a double four ounce over single four ounce lamination. This blank features an apple core plywood stringer. So these are three panels of one 24 inch basswood that are glued together with an eco bind resin to make a laminated plywood. So think three thin rectangular sheets of wood that are glued together into a panel of plywood. Once you have that sheet of plywood, they cut a strip out, let's imagine kind of two and a half inches thick in this exact scenario. They then cut the foam blank in half and then glue that little strip of plywood down the center as the stringer. 
As with any lamination, the process of gluing the panels together increases the strength, but also the predictability of the flex properties of the wood stringer, because the sum of three panels will compensate where there may have been maybe a fault in the grain of just one of those single panels. The other two being glued up in that spot will help keep things consistent and strong. The other cool thing about Apple Core specifically is that Brad color dyes the panels, adding aesthetic options for the shaper to select from. So you'll see red, white, and blue stringers, Rasta coloring. The color in this particular three-ply stringer is black on black on black. Does the stringer matter, and why do you pick what you pick? Yeah, I mean, it does matter and how it flexes, but it's hard to really know exactly what it's going to do, right? Because every wood grain is a little bit different. I think um, ply sometimes is a little bit more consistent because you're getting three strands of the ply glued, glued up together. So maybe it kind of compensates or evens out some of those irregularities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it, it, you know, obviously the the wider, the thicker, the stringer, the stiffer the board's going to be, the narrower it is, the flexier it's going to be. Yeah. And ply adds strength to yeah. once you're laminating layers of things. Mm-hmm. Um, is a conversation about stringers even worth having in surfboards? Because like you said, there is a lot of variation between wood grain, but if you're committed to, let's say, using ply and everything, do you find it to be consistent enough? I don't enough? always use it. I use it like a decent amount, probably half of the boards I do are that, but I do plenty of like cedar and bass and all the other stuff too. Are those aesthetic decisions though? Or Sometimes, they- yeah. Sometimes it's aesthetic because sometimes it doesn't, if it's a, like a 7-2 single fin, eggy kind of board, and it's not going to be surfed in critical waves necessarily. It is It is sometimes more aesthetic than it is purely functional because you're not thinking about that much about the flex or the torque in a, in a board because you're just kind of going straight down the line. Right. So. And you can add strength through lamination on a exactly. board like that, yeah. thicker lamination. Exactly. Okay. I think it seems like stringers really come into play talking about critical waves you know as far as like board durability and stiffness holding up on a bottom turn on a real throaty section maybe okay so i think for most of us maybe would <laughs> notice the difference i don't think i do because i think it's because it's again it's just one variable because exactly. probably the lamination maybe even the time of year that it was laminated in how hot it went, on, it went off you know can affect the flex more than it's all part it's just one variable if you made me another twinsman the exact same size with a different stringer i don't think i would notice the difference yeah i think maybe if you surfed them enough if you had enough reps that's the other problem we don't get enough reps yeah right totally i mean you go surf for an hour and a half and you get five minutes of actual surfing time or whatever whatever it is. Totally. Well, that, so reps is actually an interesting conversation when it comes to stringers too, because ultimately the stringer breaks down. Mm -hmm. So it could be argued that the plywood being stronger than just a normal piece of wood or cedar or basswood or whatever else would actually last longer. So maybe you'll notice it at the one year mark that this board still has resilience and Mm -hmm. pop to it where another piece of wood might've broken down more. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting too because I think I think sometimes that uniqueness is what makes a board have this magic feel and sometimes with that search for that magic combination, you're going to get some that flex weird or flex yeah. different, but that's the variability is what makes them 
I don't think you can necessarily replace that with like a plastic, like a PVC stringer or something like that, or even high-density foam. I think you kind of lose the wild card nature of what, what a board's going to do. Now, regarding the outline and foam distribution of the Twinsmen, I received a message from a podcast listener who said that he felt his album Twinsmen had too much foam positioned under his stomach and that he had a hard time getting used to the board. He felt that the bulk of the foam should have been under his chest. Well, outline is usually the best indicator of foam distribution for if you're just looking at a board maybe and you don't have a chance to lift it up and figure out where that foam is distributed. The widest point is generally also going to be the thickest. And that's why I started this whole conversation with a question about genre. Matt talked about the Twinsmen being a shortboard replacement. Most shortboards have the widest point of the outline somewhere around the center, as the podcast listener who messaged me identified. But he also seemed to encounter the hiccup that I was trying to explain to Matt, which was my preconceived idea. It's a twin fin, so shouldn't the foam be forward? I even told Matt that I found myself moving back to the back third of the board, probably subconsciously trying to get behind that distribution of foam that he placed in the center. But as Matt said, stop it. You don't need to adjust your surfing. And to increase the shreddability of the perceived twin fin limitations, he also built in other design features in the form of tail design, a wing, and a step down. Yeah, it's fuller, but not super, not as full as a fish, obviously, you know, so nose and tail or uh, I don't know what the, the overall actual nose and tail width on this one is, but it's probably 13 and a half to 14 inches in the nose or something. So it's fuller. Okay. Um, but it's got a little wing uh, back in the tail to kind of give it a pivot point. Um, this one, generally the shorter ones are a little curvier this one because it's kind of stretched out a little bit it's not super wide it probably has a little bit of a straighter outline which lets it kind of hold and drive in better waves okay and talk about tail design um this one is a pintail what is the twinsman offered in and what do those variations do yeah generally i just do it in the wing swallowtail is like the standard go-to version that's the only version we've really released as a model the the pintail version can be ordered this way, but we haven't put it out there as a, as a official version of the model yet. But I love it this way. So it's basically those two. Um, pintail is like the little bit of a step up. Or maybe if you want like a one board quiver, that's what I would do because it'll, it. you could take it on a trip and surf it, whatever. The swallowtail is kind of your primarily smaller wave, a little bit under head high. Okay. Uh Talk to me about rocker. Yeah, pretty mellow, pretty, uh, pretty cruisy. You know, I would say it's uh, under the chest and through kind of like where your feet are placed. It's kind of a similar curve to a fish. There's a little bit more entry, you know, not flip necessarily, but there's a little bit more in the nose. And then it does have um, past the wing, there's a little bit of a V panel that mm -hmm. kicks the rail rocker up past the fins. And so okay. if you look at, like if you hold the board down on the side and you kind of see the the uh, same curve throughout, there's a little kick like right past the wing, which basically it's it's only in the rail rocker, the stringer rocker is the same the whole, the whole way. But, and um, that's where you can feel it when you're in a section to really jam it and really put it on rail where that thing just fits right in. Got it. 
where sometimes like these straighter lower rocker boards will just want to project out and through that and, and you're beating the section and you're out in front of it this will let you when you stomp on it redirect in the right spot so. okay this is an important and subtle detail to the design rocker as you may or may not know is the amount of rise in the nose and tail from the bottom plane of the board so you have to assess this from the profile imagine that the board is just laying flat on a table you lower your body so that you can see where the board is resting on the table, the bottom plane, and you can see the curve towards the nose and the tail. If you measure the distance from the table to where the tip of that nose of the board is, this would give you the nose rocker measurement. For this board, it's three and three quarters inches, and you would do the same exact thing for the tail. From the table to the end of the pin in the tail, it's exactly 2.5 inches. Now, what Matt was explaining is that because the bottom of the board and the deck in this case has contours built into it, the rocker is actually different at the rail line than it is at the stringer. And specifically, this tail has a bump or a wing shaped into the outline, and that creates a sudden decrease in the width right there where it bumps in and he also made an extreme increase to the rocker at that specific spot. And you already heard him say it once, but I'm going to let him explain it again. And then it does have, um, past the wing, there's a little bit of a V panel that mm -hmm. kicks the rail rocker up past the fins. And so okay. if you look at, like, if you hold the board down on the side and you kind of see the, the uh, same curve throughout, there's a little kick right past the wing which basically it's it's only in the rail rocker the stringer rocker is the same the whole the whole way but and that's where you can feel it when you're in a section to really jam it and really put it on rail where that thing just fits right in got it where sometimes like these straighter lower rocker boards will just want to project out and through that and and you're beating the section and you're out in front of it this will let you when you stomp on it redirect in the right spot so okay and so that increased curve equates to a tighter turning radius. Again, Rocker 101 information here. A flat board will plane across water fast. So imagine adding Rocker to the nose, and what you'll see is that the board will start to push water and thereby slow the speed. But if you turned the board on its side, that curve to the Rocker would now guide it into a turn. So with any design, what you're trying to achieve is the right mix of speed and maneuverability. Matt talked about keeping a low entry rocker, which will allow for a higher speed, of course, because it's flatter. But then this kick in the tail rocker just along the rail line will allow the surfer to hook into turns. And keep in mind that rarely, unless you're Taylor Knox or Dane Reynolds, is your entire rail line going to be buried through a turn. So for most novice to intermediate surfers, Connecting bottom turns through top turns or even cutbacks, the back half of the rail line is really all that's going to be in the water. So this kick is a significant increase to that curve and allows for much more maneuverability than I expected without sacrificing any of the speed. So the kind of gentle rocker and flatter nature allow for a lot of speed? That's where you really feel the paddle. Power, like it moves through the water very efficiently. So when you're paddling, there's no resistance. It just kind of glides right through and you can generate speed easily. 
And then that just picks up right when you're taking off. So. so you benefit from all that speed, but then when you go in to do a turn, that break in the outline, basically the wing, mm-hmm. and then the extra kick of rocker behind the fins allows you a tighter turning radius. Mm-hmm. So you get the best of both worlds. Yeah, in fact, there's a couple, like Josh put out a couple on the slow-mo clips of him doing a turn in a, like a coming out of a barrel and doing like this big wrapping on rail turn. And you can really see how the board will transition from all that speed coming out. And it's just like that redirect, but he doesn't have to nurse it. He just pushes it as hard as he possibly can push it. And it just comes right around. So. Got it. I'll overlay that exact clip yes. with <laughs> this conversation in the video. Uh, it's the benefit of doing these uh, video versions. There are two key features to this design that makes the Twinsman really unique. And both of them are actually in the deck of the board. The first is related to that wing on the tail outline and the increased rocker along that portion of the rail all the way out to the tail. There's something happening on the top of the board too, and it's known as a step down. So just as the outline bumps in suddenly and the tail rocker profile increases suddenly, so too the deck actually drops down suddenly. All three of these factors contribute to one thing, a sudden and drastic reduction of foam in the tail, basically from where the fins are located. And again, all of this is done with the intention of increasing maneuverability while maintaining all of the benefits of a fuller volume board. The second unique feature here is a concave deck through the entirety of the board. And I can't ever really remember surfing a board with a concave deck. I've had thrusters from the 80s with flat decks and a recent pool ninja from Ryan Harris with a totally flat deck. But this is the first board that I've ever had that had actual concave built into the deck so that the rail line is actually higher than the stringer. Matt will explain the design theory here, but it took me a while to get used to this. What happens in the water as a result is that some of the sensitivity of heel and toe pressure and leverage was nullified for me. Where the board is tapered down from the center stringer line, a little pressure on the toes leans the board gently. I found that this concave actually resisted that. One day that I surfed this board, it was a beach break and about shoulder high and barreling. There wasn't much opportunity to do a bottom turn. You just kind of had to knife in. And as a result, I just kept eating it. I'd paddle into a wave, get up, and then immediately start leaning on my toes to knife in. And my weight would just fall forward while the board was still kind of aiming towards the beach. Total kook move, just felt like I was almost a novice again. So the next few waves, I tried to kind of stroke in early and then arc off the bottom, but I could see the waves start to pitch and I was late trying to do that bottom turn. I was trying to kind of utilize that last portion of curve to maybe turn off the back portion of the tail and pull it up under the lip. And the waves just wouldn't really allow for it. Had it been bigger, there probably would have been enough wave face. Uh, Maybe I could have entered with a diagonal line or even take off straight and still bottom turn under it just because there's that much more water moving in more time. But on this particular day, the waves were just too hollow and too quick for me to knife in. And believe it or not, even though this sounds, deck concave sounds significant, it wasn't something that I actually noticed visually. It's pretty subtle. And it wasn't until I had ridden the board a few times that I felt those sensations that I'm talking about in this one session. And so once I felt it, I really started to look at the board to see what the heck was going on. 
And I actually interpreted it as a detriment to the design because on that particular day, I blew a lot of good waves and then I blamed that aspect of the board. But Matt explains that the feature is actually designed to increase sensitivity, not to reduce it. Uh, generally on a board that it's thicker at the string or tapered out. You know, you're kind of the, if you think about how your foot sits on a board, the taper and the board is kind of, go, the thickness is going away from your toe and your heel. Correct. Right. So with this one, the thickness is kind of pushing into your toe and into your heel. So it gives a sensation that the board kind of sucks or sticks to your feet a little bit more. And it gives almost like a little bit more resistance. And so the second you go to push toe heel, the board is right there pushing into you. And so it, it makes what would be kind of a, a thicker, floatier, wider templated board very responsive. And so it just kind of feels a little bit, almost like snowboard bindings, kind of feels a little bit more glued to your feet. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think a lot of guys, if you watch Josh Rasher surf to him too, they feel it's real intuitive, it's real quick, connect a connected feel, mm -hmm. maybe more so than a standard board. So yeah. that's... No, that's for me, that's a very noticeable aspect of it. And then actually almost where that little chine or the little concave on the back foot happens, you can almost kind of grip that with your toes a little bit. Mm. I hardly ever ride it with a pad because it just feels good feeling the board. That yeah. Way, so. I've had booties on, I think, every time I've well, ridden you it. You wear booties year-round, though, right? <laughs> no. Hasn't that, hasn't that been discussed? <laughs> I totally don't. I don't think I've ever said that. Um, so you talked about the deck, but tell me about the rail itself, like where yeah. the rails are turned and where they're tucked. Yeah, so well, the, so the interesting thing about that, talking about thickness a little bit too, so pushing that foam out to the perimeter, you'll feel it when you're coming through um, like a big wrapping turn. A lot of times like a board um, doesn't have a lot of margin for error. It's easy to bog. Like a, a high-performance shortboard is easy to bog because there's yeah. a thin margin of error. This one puts the foam in the perimeter where you can kind of set your angle for your turn and that extra foam through the perimeter is going to drive through maybe a bad decision you made or a bad mm -hmm. angle you made. But when you lock it in right, it just like carries so much more speed. So it's so much easier to rebound off a section and keep your speed and momentum going through. So for average guys with average ability who are standing up too tall and not doing proper mechanics, you really feel that like where you're doing better turns than you could do. And then that foam kind of um, down to the apex of the rail, it has a little bit of a lower apex. And so, because you don't want the foam to fill up, the rail to feel like a big brick with all that foam out to the perimeter. So it kind of accelerates the taper down to like a nice crisp little edge. You can kind of feel when you pick it up. It's not a, it's a little, not a hard rail, but it does have a little bit of a tuck, low apex to it. Now, the bottom of this board is fairly similar to what you would find in a lot of modern shortboards. Fairly flat entry and then a single concave that runs through most of the board, starting under the chest or front foot and then blending into spiral V, which then kicks suddenly into that V at the fins, uh, at the bump, which of course is the reason for that increased tail rocker. What's a spiral V? It's a double concave within a single concave. Okay. So if you stuck like a... A flat edge, you know, you would see the, if you had the board upside down, stuck a, a straight edge on it, you would see that the, the rails are higher and there's concave within it. But within that concave, there's a little bit of a double. So, okay. Yeah. What does all of that do? What does a kind of flat entry into single into double do? Yeah, that, 
the the single concave throughout the board basically straightens your stringer. So that's where it feels like drive and you feel like it's a gas pedal and that moves the water through uh, quickly. To me, the spiral V really is like a, uh, a feel thing where you can feel uh, more grip, more acceleration through the turns when you're pushing the fins, when you're pushing the board through a turn. It seems to move the water through in a real natural way. Okay. And then the V lets it rock rail to rail. Got it. Off the back. So Got it. It kind of takes all that speed and lets you do something with it. You'll see a lot of pros will ride single concave boards throughout, and, and those feel weird to normal surfers. They mm-hmm. sometimes feel twitchy or because you don't know, know what to do with all the kind of speed and grip of that. And mm-hmm. so I can't overstate the importance of fin experimentation. I've had boards that I've disliked only to find that a different set of fins turned it into a board that I loved. Having an array of fins is an instant quiver expander, and it'll allow a board to work in a wider variety of conditions. So of course, I have a partnership with NVS Fins, so you can save 10% off their Apex series by using promo code podcast. And fortunately for me, Matt Parker actually designed a fin with NVS specifically for the Twinsmen, so it's super easy for me to just plug and play with those. Apex refers to NVS's construction. These are made from a G10 fiberglass laminated with epoxy resin in an autoclave. It yields a super thin and strong panel, so they can make these really super refined foils. These retail for $85 minus our discount with the promo code PODCAST. They are large and fairly upright. They have a 5.17 inch base. They reach 5.5 inches in height. They also have a total surface area of 20.25 square inches per fin and a flat foil. I think that this fin works great in the board, uh, especially for what this board was designed to do. Britt Merrick actually loaned me a set of twins They are a prototype fin that he's developing with Futures, so they aren't on the market yet. I can't give you a name of those fins, but the design, they had more rake, they had a wider base, and they weren't quite as tall. The base actually extended well beyond the fin box, and then it rounded to the back of the fin rather than kind of coming to a sharp point. And I found those fins to hold speed in transition really smoothly between turns, whereas these tall um, NVS album upright twins tended to have more pivot and maybe more exclamation so if you had a wider based set of fins maybe ride them when the waves are smaller where you need kind of more drive and then when the waves are actually providing enough power use this more upright fin so that you can maximize leverage in your turns yeah i i like a bigger fin like sometimes so there's a lot of different options we have a couple we have a fin with nvs and an upright album upright twin with nvs which i write a lot i love i don't know that's that's within what's in this one right now we also do a couple different um, upright twin templates with true aims that Mm -hmm. go really good we've got a gemini set and then just an album twin fin set so a lot of surface area not as much as a keel fin a lot of height to the fins so you kind of have that fangy pivot feel Mm -hmm. and then uh, yeah why do you have three different uh, styles of fin, and what are the variations between them? Are there Slight, subtle yeah, differences? Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. Difference in like surface area and size of the fin, so to suit different uh, size boards and different size surfers. So got it. You know, like a guy who's like Josh is going to ride. A, I'm 190 pounds and Josh is 145 pounds, so we ride a little slightly different size 
template, or if he's in different size waves, he might pull out like a bigger fin or a smaller fin, depending on what he wants to do. Do they measure fins in volume? Uh, I think they do it like in surface area. You know, kind of. It's like it's kind of a, a I, at least I think it's a combination of the height of the fin, how much base is on the fin, and then how much rake is on the fin. Yeah, and, and you kind of like figuring out how much surface area is there. I think. They're missing, like, I need more information than that. Now that we're really getting into these deep conversations about fins, I think volume would actually matter almost more than any. I mean, not more than anything, but that'd be an important, it would matter more to me than the board's volume, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess volume and fins would be how much water the fin displaces, like how how much area is there. I yeah. guess there's different thicknesses of fins, thinness of fins. I, the, for me, the kind of just general way, if I was talking to somebody who's buying fins for their board is think about how much surface area does the tail of your board have? And then your fin should kind of match that surface area. So you think about like a wide mini Simmons style tail that's, you know, maybe it's 13 inches of the tail block or something like that. Yeah. You need a bigger keel fin to kind of match that surface area. Otherwise you're not, there isn't enough fin in the water to leverage how much board is on the surface of the water. Right. You know what I mean? Like you see guys with too small of a fin and the board, it, it almost like the board feels slow or lagging because there's just not, you're not leveraging the surface area that's on the water. That's good advice. Mm -hmm. So the size of the tail should relate to the size of the surface area mm -hmm. of the fin. Generally. Yes. Got that's, it. that's how that's just kind of like a rudimentary way to kind of look at like, does this look like enough fin for this board? We'll think about how wide is the tail and, yeah, it, it, it's a very good way yeah. to look at it. But that doesn't indicate how many fins you should have, no. you know, or anything like that. That is one point about this one, too, this model, too, that's kind of unique. So many people are used to twin fins where I need a trailer. Like, they always ask, do I need a trailer box on right. this one? Because a lot of times people are used to twin fins that are kind of placed a little forward and the boards feel squirrely and kind of lacking drive. This one, you, you, you never really need trailer box because they're placed for enough far enough back Got and it. your trailer box would actually almost overlap yeah how are you alluded to this a little bit earlier but how are um asher and josh's twinsmen different than the ones like a stock twinsman um asher's is the only ones that's a little bit different because he rides them a little shorter he's about 510 175 and he rides like a 54 okay. version 55 53 to 55 so his are a little squattier they're like not super wide, but he rides them a little closer to the fish end off of what would be stock dimensions. Okay. So normally like a 5.4 would be 19 inches wide, and he'll ride 5.4 at 20 or 19 and three quarters. So it kind of squishes them out a little bit. And then Josh's are pretty much just stock dims, but okay. at 5.3. Okay. So, um, Where are these boards available? Albumsurf.com. Okay. And then um, depending on where you're at, we do have retailers around the world that you can kind of poke in. We've got a few here and there. So. But albumsurf.com, you can find the most info. And we ship most everywhere also. So. Okay. Um, and then do you know what the retail price is? Yeah. So uh, they start at 800 bucks for just a basic poly and then uh, no color. And then just depending on resin tint or different construction or whatever it is. Cool. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks. I'm glad you had fun on it. Yeah. Thanks. So let's recap. For genre, we're going to call this an alternative shortboard. 
It's an apple core stringered polyurethane blank with fiberglass cloth and polyester resin construction. The dimensions come in at six feet tall, 20.5 inches wide and 2.5 inches thick. It's a twin fin with a bump in the tail right at the fins that coincides with a step down and increased rocker along the rail line. It has a rounded pin tail, a slightly concave deck, and a flatter entry rocker into single concave under the chest and stomach into spiral V with a more pronounced V from the fins back. This board is versatile. It works in all around conditions, but I'd elect to ride it in non-perfect point break waves. For the alternative shortboard category, it has lots of paddle ability, lots of forgiveness for sloppy form or technique, which I certainly have, but I'm working on with Brad Gerlach and WaveKey. And this board will actually allow you to surf fast and pretty much crank any style of turn short of fin-free turns or airs. Matt Parker is an aging man raising a family and running a business who still, in his most fanciful daydreams, imagines that he'll crack the lip like he did when he was 25. And if I had to guess, that's exactly who this board was designed for. On one end of the spectrum, there's a version of that that is Josh Kerr, retired from the championship tour, focused on getting the kids to the best waves in the world. But when Bank Vaults turns on, he still wants to be deeper and turn harder than anyone else in the lineup. And on the other hand of the spectrum is me, trying to increase my wave count, maintain speed through flat cutbacks on the shoulder, and hopefully go vert if a crumbly lip presents itself. And the album Twinsman is allowing both Josh Kerr and I to succeed. The reason that I would add one of these to my quiver is because I don't have another board that fulfills this exact niche in my quiver. It retails for $800 and you can find one at albumsurf.com. Thanks for listening. We'll have a full YouTube version of this show up next week, including video clips of pros riding the board. And I actually do have footage of me riding it. Um, I've been kind of going out of my way to connect with Jamie Tierney to take turns filming each other for Brad Gerlach to send it over to him and get feedback for WaveKey. But I'm, I think I'm going to use that footage for a different series of shows that's really going to focus on WaveKey and its benefits. Um, so stay tuned for more of that, but definitely go to YouTube and subscribe to our channel, Surf Splendor, and you will get an alert as soon as today's video drops. And of course, now that my review is complete, I'm going to be giving away this board on March 1st. 
one lucky supporter will be selected at random and I will send you this exact board. You can get in on that giveaway up until March 1st. Set up your subscription on surfsplendorpodcast.com or in your show notes or on whatever app that you're using right now. You can just look and I've written the word subscribe in all caps and then I've hyperlinked it to our website. So just tap that. It'll take you over. It's just a $5 a month subscription and you'll earn that back through discounts on merch, which we will be releasing later this month. And you'll automatically be entered into giveaways like this. And beyond that, you'll simply feel great about investing in the increased quality and production of these shows. So thank you. Scott Bass and I just dropped an episode of Spit yesterday. Chaz and I are supposed to record remotely from two different snowy mountains tomorrow. So hopefully the grit will be back this week. And then I'll be back here next week with an all new episode of Surf Splendor. So until then, this is David Scales for Surf Splendor reminding you to get back in the ocean on an album Twinsman. Share some waves and of course, shred on.